0: Good afternoon, everyone. It is Office Hours with David Meltzer, Mike Diamond, and the perfectly, perfectly on time Craig Siegel, the Eagle from New York City, the CLS experience himself. Congratulations, Craig Siegel, on your engagement, first of all. We love you and even more importantly, your fiance.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I'm excited to rock out with you guys tonight. Let's have some fun.
0: It's going to get a little bit weird, but we're going to have a good time, which is always the case when you got Mike Diamond. They have too many people to put up the life, <laughs> diamond, life fuel that I'm on, and all fired up in all cases. But I'm starting off with a movement, boys. We got Sam Hawking here. He's the president and co founder of Vertus. And uh, as you all know from all the shows we do together, there's a huge societal shift, not just in a variety of historical institutions but in the entire activity we get paid for, which other people articulate as work. And this societal shift in work uh, is creating you know, quite a chasm, but also quite an opportunity. I call it the margins of millionaires, combined with uh, the ever-shifting economy, uh, the shift in this activity we get paid for, uh, really, if we have the right data points, can provide a legacy for you, your family, your grandchildren. Welcome to Office Hours, Sam. We're so excited to discuss the societal shift and the activity we get paid for in your movement that you're creating with Virtus.
2: Hey, David, thanks for having me. It's exciting to talk to you and to Craig and Mike. So uh, let's, uh, let's have some fun today and talk about, talk about the future.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the future of work. Uh, I call it activity I get paid for. You know, what are some of the things that you're seeing and the benefits of Vertis with the billions of data points that you're analyzing at all times of how we can take advantage of the societal shifts that are occurring?
2: Yeah, it's it's actually a phenomenal, you know, situation. So first of all, you know, most of us on this call have used to go to an office. That's where we hired people. That's where they, that's where they worked. And um, you know how now we have a kind of a philosophical and different way to kind of think about work. And so I think one of the big things is, you know, we live in a society where almost everything's customized. So we want a customized car, we want a customized piece of jewelry, we want a customized house. So <clears throat> what's happening is now, as an employee, I think this is the future: is you're going to be able to customize your work where you work, when you work, how you work, what you deliver I think it's an unbelievable change in society and the things that we're seeing in the data is you know more people want to work remote they want to work um, away from the office and um, you know creating this dynamic which isn't always good because just like we're here together collaboration, being together, creating innovating, things don't come necessarily by being remote. So we're we're seeing lots of interesting aspects about remote and what I think it's going to drive to more and more is this idea of hybrid. You know, so I think even the remote people are saying I need some kind of hybrid because what we all need as humans is human connection. So if I'm sitting in my little office at my house in New York or San Francisco and I never meet people I'm losing that connection. And that's one of the things that we see in the data, people who are always deemed remote companies are sliding more into a hybrid situation. So I think that's part of some of the things we're seeing. Um, Sam, it says that you worked as a journalist
3: for a little while. Yeah, yeah. How, how did you use that experience to what you're doing now? Because that's a really interesting yeah. transition.
2: Yeah, so uh, my dream, um, and I kind of think of myself always as an entrepreneur, but my dream 35 years ago was to be the next Peter Jennings. So I worked for um, ABC television, and then one of the things that came to me in 1991 as I was studying Peter Jennings is that he went abroad. He said the change in his career was going out of his comfort zone and thinking out of the box, and he moved to London and worked for ABC in London and so that's what I did in 1992 as I moved to London I worked for the BBC and I was also really uh, fascinated by the transformation of Europe and so that that I think what is really to that question it was that pivotal point about being a journalist following the transformational story and then living abroad that when I thought about this idea of a future of work it's about the transformation of how we work and how society uh, lives and works, and um, where they work. And so that was the, I think that's the connection is journalism. I was always following transformational things, entrepreneurial, and this is my third company to build. And so I think that's the, the connection there.
1: Perfect. I love this conversation straight up. Uh, Sam, so much respect for what you're doing. It's very obvious that you're so passionate about it. You have so much experience over the last 35 years as you tested to, and you've worked on some really cool things uh, with data, analytics, and so forth. Right now, in regards to Virtus, what excites you most about it?
2: You know what excites me? If I if I think about my career and I, I look at um, and journalism is, is a real transformational time, then I went into investment banking. It was a transformational time around the kind of advent of technology and hedge funds and then I think when technology when I first started my first technology company 10 years ago it was all around big data and analytics and finding out things that I didn't know so what I'm really passionate about now is hitting something that um, is kind of what I think is a, is a big idea in society it's a big potential impact in society if we can help companies understand how people are going to work and where they're going to live and how they want to work I'm very fascinated, fascinated and passionate about these big ideas that allow you to be the better self. And each time you get better and better. Um, And I think that's what we're doing with this company is we're helping other companies um, kind of think about, you know, the future. And that's that's what I love to do is think about the future and put data and analytics to it.
1: Dave, you love big thinkers. Yes,
0: I do. And I also love. The, the data side of the emotional changes that are occurring. And one of the things that we're dealing with today that I think is going to be an important priority for the future is mental health. And, you know, Mike Diamond is an expert in uh, this area of mental health and addiction and the things that are going on are creating new challenges, especially uh, in our own emotional state. It's our, our, mental health, Sam, how does Virtus help people understand the future of our mental health with the new working environment?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is actually a great question. I mean, I think that- um, Don't be so
0: surprised. Even a blind squirrel finds an acorn every once in a while.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I actually mean, that's a very good question because I think, so if if you think about it and you take a step back, so, um, and you know, I think maybe David, Mike and I were probably in the same zip code of ages. You know, when we think about where we worked before as we grew up um, in in the working world, you know, most companies didn't know a lot about you. They didn't know where you lived. They didn't know maybe issues you had. And, you know, you had a contract with companies that you'd go to work, you do you do the work, and then you go home. What's changing is, and we see it because we're right in the middle of it, is companies are finding out a lot more about their employees, where they work, how far they've How far do they go to get to work? Um, And in that, David, I think people are starting to figure out, too, what's your mental? how, How are you doing? Like, how are you really doing? And is the company how can we help you have a better experience in life and in work? And so I think the data starts to help us think about more and more aspects of the person and the companies can take more stock to that. So let me give you a concrete example. If you'd asked me a year ago like how far people commute, that's really going to affect their behavior. Intuition, we'd say yes. But what we do now, we have a feature in Virtus that allows the company to really understand how far it takes and how long it takes each employee to get to office. And then they take that next step and say, wow, if if they're... 50 minutes away or an hour away or an hour and a half away, we should probably check in with them and see how they're doing. Are they okay? Are there other things that we could do that could be their mental health or could just be, do they want to stay? So I think that this is an evolution type of question that we're finding out more and more as companies find out more about their own employees and and get that feedback and use some analytics to then actually help them if they're having any kind of mental health issues or they need more support. So I think that's a, a little bit about um, that. That's pretty
3: incredible. One thing you keep, which I love saying, and, and Craig will relate to this transformation because Craig's making yeah. this incredible transformation, right?
4: And yeah.
3: I love what you said, and you went from a, being a journalist and you transformed and you took the experience along. Yeah. Do you find going forward, that is going to be a key ingredient for people because some people get stuck and don't understand that it's ever changing. And you said yeah. a great thing about the hybrid. So do you want to talk about that a little bit, how yeah. you've got to keep you know transforming?
2: Yeah, so I think the, thank you for that question. I think first of all, as if I was advising young people, I'd say you constantly need to reinvent yourself and you can't be afraid of the things of the unknown. So for instance, when I was in banking, investment banking, you were expected to be the expert, Like You go in there and you're the expert. And the problem with that is you're not really reinventing. You're maybe incrementally getting smarter or incrementally getting a little more knowledge, but you're not really reinventing and changing yourself. So if you want to make a transformation, I think you have to hit the unknown. I think you have to go into spaces that maybe one leg's a little squishy. Another one's a little maybe on cement. But you got to be willing to hit the unknown. So for instance, one of the things I like about tech is that um, a lot of times when I build companies, I don't, I'm not the expert in that space. Like I know how to do data. I know how to do analytics. I know how to do tech, but I might not be the expert in the future of work, but I will become that. I will, I will learn and I will, I'll be, I won't be afraid that, oh my God, I'm not the absolute expert, but the ability to put it all together and constantly reinvent yourself and then applying technology, I think, is the future. And I, I really do think it's the future.
1: Sam's got nuggets. We have top <laughs> one, <bottom> one. <laughs> time for I one I hate you there. Didn't didn't you? Thing, okay. We got three minutes. We got Sam got okay. nuggets for three minutes. Yeah, to be honest with you, I don't know if you can answer this one, but I'm selfishly <laughs> really curious, and I bet the audience <laughs> as well. Uh, I know that you got some proprietary intelligence right now that's giving customers and some of your partners unbelievable competitive advantages. Are, are you able to uh, pull back the curtain and, and tell us about that?
2: Well, I tell you, you know, we, we can't divulge everything. <laughs> but I think the <laughs> one thing that we, we're getting insights that know, that very few people have, because we might look at 100,000 to 200,000 commute analysis, and we can start to see where's the inflection point that people will tell their employer they're not going to commute any further than that um, distance? And, and we, we're starting to get a really good idea where that, that inflection point is of, hey, is it 10 miles, is it 15 miles? And, and then you can read a lot into that, right? You can start saying, wow, I mean, people have a tolerance level that was a lot higher uh, two years ago it's a lot less now, like they say uh, mentally, I'm only going to travel 15, 20 minutes or 30 minutes to get to the office, anything outside of that, I'm not going to do it. Um, I'd say the second thing we were really working on, it's probably evolution, is we're kind of high, we're d- doubling down on some artificial intelligence around attrition rate. What is driving people to leave their jobs at the highest rate that we've seen in the last 50 years? I mean, this is a this is a you know the great resignation, whatever you want to call it, but people are leaving their jobs more than anybody else. Uh, every, anything that we've seen in the last fifty years, and I think there's something really fundamental about that, and we are in the deep research and lab around that topic. And so when you have me back, I will have that answer. There
0: awesome. we go. <laughs> we don't expect all the secret sauce, but just a nibble. Thank you <laughs> so much. We're gonna bring back Sam for more. And hopefully we'll have Hank Moore up next as we have a little bit of a transition. Thanks so much. Check out incredible solution. Virtus.ai. Sam Hawking is the president and co-founder. We'll have you back soon. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Thanks,
2: guys. Have a great day. See you, man. It's awesome.
0: awesome. All right. Very cool. So boys, we got a, uh, Matt's on the phone with uh, uh, Mr. Moore. So I thought we'd take a little moment and give me a, a little bit of a lesson We're on Wednesday. It's more good news Wednesday. It's not hump day. There's nothing to get over, around, or through. It's simply more good news being with my two favorite Jews. And uh, anyway, my boys are here. Uh, Mr. D, give me a lesson that you've learned this week. Oh, my God. It's all
3: about process and staying in the process and the work that never ends. So I've had to do a fourth rewrite of my book, right, which is crazy. Not a big one, but still. And every time I think I'm done, I'm not done. So it's just stay in the process and more information will reveal itself. But if you don't stay in the process, you'll get too anxious and you'll never get it done. So I just live in process now. Up, Show up, get it done. Shut up, show up, get it done.
5: And Shut I just up, stay in the show process. up,
0: get it done. That sounds like yep. an Eagle statement there. What's up, Eagle? What do you got for me?
1: You know, uh, two days ago, I was in a little bit of a weird frequency, right? And it still happens. I imagine all of us to some capacity. The difference is, is where it used to be maybe a week. Oh, now, as you like to say, David, it's just a moment. Um, and it's easy to say, I'll go into my toolkit and just practice gratitude. I'll be back in two seconds. But sometimes give yourself a little bit of grace, kind of like Mike said, go through the process. Uh, acknowledge it uh, and do the best you can to get back to that higher vibration and so forth. Uh, And then when you get there, do the best that you can to sustain that. Uh, But ultimately, the other day, I was feeling a little bit funky, gave myself a little grace. The very next day, I was back on fire, making things happen, creating opportunities. So just giving yourself a little bit of grace once in a while.
0: And I think relative to both of your lessons, which are extraordinary ones, that I'm still continuing not only to learn, but to practice. And you talked about practicing the process or practicing the minutes and moments uh, is the reconciliation of abundance or the infinite uh limitless universe that we live in meaning when we have faith there's more than enough to do more options opportunities and touches of favor then it becomes quite easy uh to put ourselves back into reconciliation to put our mind body soul into alignment whether it's the process which every author goes through of when am i done um (laughs) and so i uh you know highly encourage i remember one of my dear friends rob angel uh who wrote the game changer book for pictionary uh in the time that he wrote that book i was like rob you wrote seven books bro you know you should have stopped uh on the first one and then continue your thoughts into a second book uh, because i think when you live in infinity when you live in limitlessness you don't have to worry about you stay in the process mikey but you go ahead and Put closure to a company or to a book or to a client, and you move on with promotion and protection. That, hey, these uh, lessons that I've learned, this process that I practice, and the minutes and moments that I spent in fear, in void shortages, obstacles, and interference are pushing me to a better place. And it's okay to have a continuum with entity differentiators. What do I mean by that? That if you live in the continuum of infinity, that companies can have the limit of an LLC, an S-Corp or a C-Corp, and people can take their judgments and conditions and say, oh, you know, that company closed, you failed. No, the company, the entity is closed, just like I finished my first book and moved on to my second and moved on to my third, my fourth, my fifth, my sixth, my seventh, my eighth, and even written my ninth now. Uh, But each of those are a continuum. Uh, But I had to put a pragmatic beginning middle and end uh to businesses to books to shows whatever it may be and i think it's important to have that construct of understanding the continuum and the fastest way to uh accelerate the continuum is to spend minutes and moments in interference fear setbacks mistakes uh, all the needs of the ego uh that we teach all right we have stalled long enough it's time for more no pun intended Hank Moore is in the house president of Management Resource Institute. I always know when there's a delay, not to be an ageist because I'm old, uh, but I will tell you <laughs> that is very rare when someone's having technical difficulties that they're not over 50. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and I'm self included in there. That's why I got like 20 people. To yeah. uh, uh, but this man written more books than we've had birthdays. Uh, he's incredible. Uh, pop. Icons and business legends, uh, and uh, th- these books give you a big picture of business, kind of a Napoleon Hill of perspective on business strategies and turnarounds, and uh, the aftermath of many setbacks, failures, and crises that occur daily in business. Uh, Hank, what set you forth, you know, being the president of management and resource of the Resource Institute, to look at the legends in this perspective?
5: Well, you know, for the, as far as business is concerned, uh, I started working at a very young age. I started working when I was 10 years old and I was a radio disc jockey in my first career. And then I became a White House advisor very quickly. Uh, six years later, uh, the owner of the radio station became president of the United States. This was Lyndon Johnson.
0: Whoa. And now I, you just age yourself. That's and amazing. I, was,
5: I was groomed for that for five years. That's And when I started, I wanted to be the next Dick Clark. He was my role model. And and I learned you can't go through life as a carbon copy of anyone else. You've got to be one of a kind. And if you can't take the dirtiest job at any company, uh, then you'll never be management. And so what I learned at a very young age, and it continued to follow me for many years as I went into corporate America, Uh, the entire five and a half years that I worked in the White House as an advisor, I wasn't old enough to vote for anybody. No one ever said, you're too young, you don't know, uh, and uh, it would just went on from there. So I didn't stay around the political situation because I was a policy person. And my areas of expertise were civil rights, environmental, international trade, and the World's Fair. And so from there, I started working with corporations. And every time I would go in to fix what they thought was the problem, I'd always see the bigger picture. And I realized very quickly, no one was writing books about the bigger picture. They were writing them about the niches. And I just started writing about stuff no one ever wrote about. And as it turned out, I went into two series of books. Uh, you mentioned the pop Icons and Business Legends. That was my first uh, Pulitzer Prize nominee uh nomination and then i followed it with nonprofit legends which was the which is behind me on the wall uh the uh ulti- the only uh encyclopedia for running and operating nonprofit organizations which are big business i mean nonprofit organizations uh put trillions into the the uh, economy and they're they're big employers they're also places that corporate employees and executives hone their craft as executives. And so when we get into cause-related marketing and other topics that I might want to talk to you about on a future show, we can't cover everything immediately, but but how young people on their way up can craft their skills by doing community service, then they're more valuable to the company all the way down the line another topic for another day. So it's just, there was no big picture of anything. Uh, I just, the other ones behind me on the wall, the red cover, I just wrote Pop Music Legends, my 14th book, which covers the big picture of the music industry for the last 125 years.
3: All right, so (laughs) you blew us away. First of all, you went from a DJ to the White House. That's just insane. And you, you, the change, the change you've seen is incredible. But oh, yeah. I've got to ask you this: Hall of Fame for business and rock and roll Hall of Fame. That's massive change. How did that, how does that happen? It's all about change
5: management. Research tells us change is ninety percent positive. So why do people fight? What's in their best interest And research? All Harvard Business School research tells us the average person and the average organization change 71 percent per year. Problem in business is people are way too niche oriented and they they look at pieces of pieces of pieces. And actually, I went in the U.S. Business Hall of Fame before I went in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was inducted by Peter Drucker in uh, nineteen. Uh, 91, I believe it was, and uh, U.S. Business Hall of Fame, and then in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 92, and then in some other ones after that for community leadership. So it's not, you know, you don't do the work. Uh, particularly if you have diverse talents uh, you know when back when I was working in the White House I did have to go to school too I mean I was in 11th grade when he became president after Kennedy's assassination and I was in my senior year in college when he when he uh, finished his term in office, and, and then I served on the committee to create the LBJ Presidential Library while I was working on my MBA. I always knew the connection of, uh, of it all together. I think most people in business are much more big picture and generalist in nature than they give themselves credit for being. Uh, I mean, one way they get that way is is uh, listen to David Meltzer read books by qualified authors and, and try to determine what talents can transfer from one to the other. And I think a lot of people, my good friends, the last thing I'd say about that uh, is that my good friends in small business, people run, come across me when I'm speaking at conferences and they say, oh, you work with all those national uh, corporations, yes, I have AT and Texaco, all those guys, and you can, you know, the problem is people say, "Gee, if I had all of their Disney, I've worked with all of them at the at the CEO and board level. If I had all those resources, the things I could do in my small business. Trust me, you don't want their uh, drama, you don't want their limitations. And I have found that the average small business uh, principal And manager uh, wears about 10 hats every day. And guess what? They get really good at eight of them, which is seven and a half hats more than the average corporate mid-manager is ever good at. So yeah, I had a whole bunch of diverse talents. I saw the intersection of them together. I mean, when I was in college, people, I'd, I'd go to class and my teachers would say, what do you do? You're never here. And I used to say, I'm a White House advisor and a disc jockey. And
0: they said, both? I said, believe me, it's the same thing. Yeah. Hey. Go ahead. No, I was laughing. I was like, oh. his reality surpasses most people's imagination. And that's when you know you got a great guest. Go ahead, Siegel the Eagle.
1: I was just going to say, uh, Hank, you're an absolute fire. You have more energy than us three combined. <laughs> and I want to acknowledge you for that. Um, a lot of the things that you talk about have to do with uncertainty and helping people after. Um crisis or, um, you know, big right. events and so forth. A lot of people, when they think of the word uncertainty, they think of pain. Uh, what should be a, a, an alternative perspective, um, for businesses or anybody leaning into uncertainty with possibly maybe a little bit more confidence?
5: Well, I call it in my books, crisis management and preparedness. You know, a crisis is not just a pandemic or a plane hitting a building or other big crises that we've all, uh, seen, um, a crisis could be uh, a loss of key customers due to a merger that your firm had nothing to do with. A loss could be a uh, sexual harassment lawsuit affecting a small business adversely, uh, or even in small businesses when there's divorces in the business. So what you you do is when you do your planning, that gets back to planning, uh, uh, which a lot of people consider a dirty word, uh, research tells us that only 2% of the businesses in America have a plan of action, a strategic plan, a real strategic plan. And I'm not just talking about most people will will throw up accounting figures or marketing uh, slogans. And that's all wonderful. That's what we call back of the book content. But but a plan doesn't have to be a three-page binder. It could be a 3 uh, a three-ring binder it could be a three-page stapled something that you share with every employee every week, if not more often, and with customers. You could share executive summaries to customers. Your strategic plan uh, in simplified form makes a great marketing tool. So does your ethics statement. That's another topic uh, we can talk about, uh, ethics uh, corporate ethics, the, the key is in the planning, whatever planning you do, you don't just look at your core business, you look at running the business, you look at the financial, you look at the people, you look at the business development, you look at the, and you include an ethics statement, and then you've got your crisis plan. Your crisis plan for the average uh, small and mid-sized business should have prongs in it that address core business, running the business, you know, financial people. You could lose key employees that get disenchanted and go across the street and sell the information to a competitor and suddenly your company's dead. That's how many a tech company uh, fell short and died during the technology dot-com bust and even since then. So everything's changing. Change is always there. Uh, one of my friends in the music world who inducted me into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Sonny Bono, once said, the beat goes on. That means there's nothing more permanent than change and that history does repeat itself. So you learn from what happened in, in Big Picture Business book one. I had a complete history of every recession of the 20th century and what we could have should have learned about it. Uh, Do people learn? No, they need to be retaught periodically. So business forward going forward from the pandemic is to understand that you just can't go back to the way things were. Uh, Going back is not an option. You know, the beat has to go on in, in music and in business. And and it, it's, you know, you can love the good old days and all that, but you study them and learn from what happened. you don't want to Waller in, in the olden days. It, it, it doesn't work out. No,
0: no, nobody likes change except for a wet baby. And uh, I study history simply to learn human nature because human nature never changes. And that's why I created a... Taking advantage of the recession group to, in my limited history uh, from ninety recession to ninety three to ninety nine to two thousand and eight, where I got crushed, paying the W tax forward to other people, sharing the market, the market makers and the margins, like you have in your book. Uh, we don't have enough time for more, but we'll make more time on another show for more. Thank you more than enough, Hank. Moore. We appreciate everything that you do. You are a legend, an icon, a hall of famer. Please come back and visit us. You're an extraordinary interview. Thank you so much. Very welcome. Thank you, Hank.
5: Thanks to you others. Thank you.
0: Great job. Well, I wasn't expecting. Sometimes you get a guest and you're like, wait a second. Did he just say that? That's incredible. Uh, you're not participating in that perception, uh, but his reality certainly exceeds my imagination at times. And it was so blessed to be here teaching us the lessons of all the different aspects of his own journey. And here she is. She's ready to go. Deepali is in the house. And uh, Deepali Viaz, founder of Fearless. I don't know if her co-founder Mike is around, but uh, we got Deepali here. <laughs> Mike? We got enough mics on the show already. We don't need another one. Fearlessplus.com, yes. by the way. That's a lot more than just Fearless. Uh, Frictionless is Fearless. And she's soon to launch a new digital platform uh, that will connect here. Uh, in, on LinkedIn for young people. And it's so interesting because young people seem adverse to LinkedIn and uh, you know they, they love the TikTok. And so we need to TikTok and eyes LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> and that seems to me, if I was gonna describe the founders of Fearless Plus that we're kind, we're kind of uh, utilizing the UIs that are more adaptable and attractive to young people in the more powerful platforms like LinkedIn. Is that a fair assessment? Fear, not fair assessment, like F, it's F A I R, fair assessment, not F E A R, like your fearlessplus.com. Uh, is that a fair assessment of the platform that, that you guys are launching?
6: Absolutely. Um, thank you, David, for, for having us on. Um, I say us, but I think my partner, Mike, is on a boat somewhere uh, in the middle of the Mediterranean, and it's quite late, but we certainly appreciate um, uh, being on. But yes, I mean, you, you've said it um, very well. You've summed it up very well. We are, think of Fearless Plus as, um, you know, LinkedIn for the, for the next generation, and it's TikTok meets LinkedIn. Um, All of these young people are so used to social media, they're used to video formats, they're used to evolving and moving fast. Um, And they're not shy about it. And these are the mobile friendly platforms that you're using. But they have a deep anxiety on uh, getting on LinkedIn, just because they don't have enough professional experience to share and so how do they set themselves apart when they are getting into the workforce so um yeah thank you for for having us on and and you know giving us a voice and and empowering the next generation
3: that's awesome so okay my question is this such a great platform so great to educate young people on how to set themselves up fearless is brilliant because it's it's very fearful to put yourself out there Mm -hmm. why did you create it deep down, what was driving you to create such a great platform?
6: Yeah, so a a little bit about my background. So I have 22 years of experience in executive search. And so I've spent my career helping executives uh, from leadership coaching to getting them the big CEO and and COO and C-suite jobs. And during the pandemic, I was just sort of observing what my young son was doing, sitting at home, trying to learn from school. And I'm still in this position where I continue to do my job well in the pandemic and and continue to help these leaders. And I said, well, what? How? where is there an opportunity for me to bottle my experience and bring it to the younger generation? Because those are the people that actually need the help, that the young generation actually need the help. There's a huge disconnect from what they're learning in school. And really it kind of starts with the education system, right? Like the education system hasn't changed in over 150 years. Schools teach what to think and not how to think. And then we spend the rest of our years when we enter the workforce in remediation, right? We're, we're now getting coaches and we're getting all these leadership experts to teach us about emotional intelligence and all the stuff that really matters. And so we should be doing it at a young age. And when the pandemic hit, and I saw this sort of severe social and emotional learning loss in these students that will compound over time and it will affect them. So when employers tell me all the time, listen, Polly, when I make a bad hire, 99 percent of the time, it's because of the soft skills or the shortage of soft skills. It's not about the fact that they couldn't code because that anybody can learn. Um, and that's why we founded it. We wanted to bottle this experience and just bring it to the younger generation. So there isn't a huge disconnect. So when they do enter the real workforce, um, they know what they're doing.
1: This is awesome. Uh, I just want to say you have a really, really cool, positive aura about you. I really appreciate it. And it's interesting because we're in a time now uh, where guys like Dave and Gary Vee have really paved the way um, to put a spotlight on entrepreneurship. And I think mm-hmm. over the years, you can't deny entrepreneurship has become sexy. And now you see younger kids, uh, whether it be crypto or just other things, uh, starting yeah. their own business and so forth. And so whereas maybe years back um, – the information on the platform might not be as useful. It seems like now it's the perfect time to learn more about not necessarily what they got in accounting, um, right, in class, but but what are their people skills their connections, their, their network, their ability to connect and so forth. I imagine that was a similar mentality to you. You're kind of adapting to the time, seeing that entrepreneurship is becoming popular younger and younger.
6: Absolutely. Um, look, I'm a huge fan of Gary Vee and and, and all of those individuals, Tony Robbins, etc. Like everyone is trying to do personal development. And you should be doing it earlier. Um, you know, I grew up in the motel business. I'm an immigrant. Um, my parents were in the motel business. I was running a motel at the age of 13 uh, because I didn't have a choice. Um, my parents, you know, needed me while they had to make a Costco run. Uh, And I got to encounter all aspects of life and really hone my emotional intelligence and self-awareness. And um, I feel like that's why I'm a little bit of a risk taker. And I think this young generation, I don't want them to be fearful of of changing jobs. Right. We want them to have a fearless future. And it's really in the name. Right. You should be an accountant for 50 years. Imagine going to school and setting yourself up. I'm going to be an accountant for the next 50 years. That sounds quite daunting and boring, right? And in my line of work, you know, when I look at a resume, people have had so many jobs and everyone has crooked lines and unique stories. And I don't want the young generation to be afraid of that, right? They should have crooked lines. They should take risks. They should, you know, think about, you know, an accountant should be able to say, you know what? I want to open my own business and I'm going to consult to other firms around accounting. And then after that, I want to create my personal brand. And after that, I want to, you know, give advice on TikTok or whatever. Um, But they shouldn't be in a position where they just think about, I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to work for an accounting firm. And then I'm going to retire.
0: Yeah. And it's so interesting because, you know, I'm blessed to have three daughters that are 23, (laughs) 21 and 18. And I get to interact as well as observe the cultural, uh, Inner circle, as well as the outer pressures that are created mm-hmm. by social media, and just yeah. the same thing I face going to college and law school—the pressure of just peer pressure that still exists today with friends. Mm-hmm. And there's a soft skill, uh, as you know, I've dedicated the last five years with Gary and Ed and Tony and the the, the, the great entrepreneurs that are sharing their mindset, and it's an adaptability intelligence uh, mm-hmm. that. Those mm-hmm. statements and judgments and conditions that are both portrayed socially as well as peer to peer are like, well, you know, you can't change jobs or you, you know, mm-hmm. you, we talk about our parents putting pressure, especially coming from your cultural background and mine, doctor, mm-hmm. lawyer, failure, engineer, absolutely, whatever I grew up in. Uh, but I'm trying to promote an adaptable uh, intelligence that says, you know what do i want who can i help who can help me and how best can i get it done and teach kids to prioritize what they want in that context of who they can help and who can help them and that create more inspiration it also creates more passion more purpose and profitability reminding remembering recollecting what they're here to do which is to help others and to be helped uh and to pursue their potential not their grandmas their moms or their friends that want exactly. to with them and so how do you see that adaptable intelligence with the kids today um, that, you know, it seems to me that there is a resistance and this creating mental health issues and all types of other resistance because there's actually a soft skill called adaptability.
6: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and um, interesting that you made that point, Dave, because we actually have a what we call a fearless formula. And that formula is EQ, emotional intelligence. RQ, rationality quotient, AQ, adaptability quotient, and then IQ, what you're born with. Um, And so when you combine those quotients, you will have life and professional success. And what we're doing at Fearless is we are offering modules all along the way. You can create an amazing profile on our platform. You play sports, you've been in sports and media. Sports are the greatest intrinsic leadership quality develop, you know, development opportunities, but no one knows that unless you actually feature it, right? So our profile gives a, an aspect for them to sort of visually show how their grit was and playing these sports, etc. But then you have an opportunity to take these modules, better yourself, figure out your adaptability quotient, figure out your rationality quotient and unlock opportunities. Because at the end of the day, our mission is to democratize, opportunity and access just because you're born in a household and you don't have access doesn't mean you can't create access for yourself and that's what we're doing on one side of the house we're going to have amazing you know number of members on our platform but on the other side of the house we're creating opportunities so if you're a kid sitting there saying i need volunteer experience for my resume i need a part-time job i need a summer internship and by the way i need college prep coaching all of that stuff is going to be available on our platform Awesome. So we're going to change the world. <laughs> I'm,
3: I mean, you hit those, those four um, EQ, IQ, RQ, and AQ. That's absolutely amazing. I mean, do we have one, one last question, Dave? Because I know we're yeah, going to you you
0: jump on you, you guys are hitting the three minute mark perfectly. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, because I, I
3: wanted to make sure because he's going to jump onto a keynote after this. So um, the one question <laughs> I just I
0: got I to find a brush because I'd hate the keynote with this haircut, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's all
3: right. It looks good, buddy. Um, did that, the one thing that you hit me and, and, and I didn't grow up like it was the worst because it was all fixed mindset. When you get someone, what's one tool someone can listening to that can, can jump on because we haven't got much time that they can do if right now they're sitting, sitting, feeling overwhelmed with all the information, they feel stuck. It's just too much. And they've got that certain IQ but they can't adapt to the other things. What's one thing they can do right now to open up their mind and perspective?
6: Uh, I think the one thing that they can do is work on their communication skills, because I think communication is the one skill in life that you will need for your entire lifetime. And that also helps you know your audience. Who are you communicating to becoming self-aware? All of the, that emotional intelligence and other things boil down to the way that you communicate with others and to yourself. So if there's anything that anybody can work on today and even just by themselves is observe how you communicate to yourself and others. That's one my biggest piece of advice. That's amazing.
0: That is a great piece of advice. Gapali, <laughs> we have to send more of our future generation. Thank to you. you. Tell Mike, <laughs> Mike that he missed out. Everyone check out fearlessplus.com. Let me know how we can help you on the content or introduction side. We want you to be successful. Appreciate it you you nailed it for our future of a, at least entrepreneurship and business thank you so much for joining us thank, thank you, you so Pally. much gentlemen take all care right. all right porta right. she she's she stuck in the office and mike's on a riviera i mean a mediterranean cruise. Yeah, he he's, dead, oh my God. God. he's <laughs> lost it
3: he might be lost at sea so he shouldn't say that right the poor guy he's on a cruise yeah. no he's not he's in the middle of nowhere
0: that's, I, that's like Jake on the weekends, you know, it's like I, I'm sitting here getting my stuff together and Jake's like bachelor party in Nashville with my daughters. And then he's flying over to Austin to meet some, you know, lady that's 20 years older than him and flying home again for, you know, a nightcap with a, another venture. And <laughs>
3: <laughs> you're just you're just airing out his laundry right here. It's great. Oh, these <laughs> are made up
0: stories. Jakey Bakey sitting at home in the library studying. Uh, anyway. Uh, Matt, I guess we're good. Give me a <laughs> thumbs up. All right, we'll, we'll call it. Let's do our takeaway for the day. I'll get ready for my speech. Uh, all oh, right,
3: okay.
0: We're, yeah, we're good. You know all right, I,
3: I'm. I, I can be a gentleman, Craig. Do you want to go first or? Yeah, I ahead, go let first, the eagle
0: or... go first. Eagle, what's your you takeaway go Craig. You go, Craig. Um, to be honest with you, I really. Oh well, wait, like... Tony's here. Hold on. Recap. Oh. We'll, we'll bring the man on. Hold on, there he is. Gentlemen, sorry, Craig. It's okay. I'm sorry, Craig. No, hey, you guys will be running, you'll be running the show because I'm gonna be leaving a couple of minutes early. Um, so as I close as I close all my notes there, but uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know what Matt does sometimes, you're right. He's like no, and then he just goes ahead and, and brings this all together for us. So Matt, thank you so much for your adaptable Thanks, adaptability, Matt. your adaptability quote. Wait, hold on, I got a good idea. I'm just gonna do this for a second, Tony, just because I can. Uh, look at this face. Let's all say goodbye I to I knew Matt. you were going to bring me on. <laughs> yes, I'm going to bring him on. At least he made so, his bet. At least he made his bet. I made it just for you guys. And he keeps – look, here's the funny thing. I let Matt know that in two months, we're going to be giving out performance improvement plans. Uh, and we're making major changes in January. And so this is his answer right here to, to my, you know, what can I do better? I'm going to wear all dogs are clothes and bring Tony on – for telling me Tony's not going to be on. So we, we love oh, you, Matt. Go, go Dodgers. We, we appreciate your production skills and your adaptable your adaptable thank intelligence. You. Thank, your for your the charts. thank you, everyone. <laughs> thank you for giving Keaton a, a, a baseline of where he needs to oh, be. My God. We, we appreciate it. Mike Diamond, Diamond Life Fuel. We have Tony Saliba in the house, CEO of Mercury Digital Assets, mercurydigitalassets.com. Uh, and I want to talk about the differences in the OTC trading uh, in the traditional markets versus the crypto market. And uh, I know you're an expert in this space, and I think a lot of people have confusion. I teach a, a group every Monday about taking advantage of the recession. And I think understanding the differentiators in the OTC trading markets is a great way To take advantage of the recession or a downturn or an accelerated economy, whatever way you want to define it. This is where the margins of millionaires are made. And you're one of those market makers and an intelligent expert in the market making of how people can make billions. So I wanted to welcome you to the show and wanted to get a little bit of insight on some of the differences that people should be aware of. Thanks, David.
4: Well, in traditional markets, OTC business usually represents either um, anonymous trades or big block trades in, in terms of the spot or underlying. In terms of derivatives, it can lead to, you know, more path dependent trades that are, you know, not uh, standardized and listed markets. So um, OTC business in traditional markets. Usually requires pros, uh, institutional size transactions and papered with legal documents. On the crypto side, OTC is uh, really fluid. Um, we, uh, we are no- normally seeing a uh, RFQ, request for quotes, that are streaming. So you can't really tell a big difference between streaming quotes on an exchange and OTC quotes. And they're definitely tighter markets for deeper size. So, in the spot markets, uh, you know the big crypto names, you're seeing you know multiple coins uh, at at the top of the book. So you can see sometimes fifty to a hundred thousand dollars of depth uh, on top of the book, and then on derivatives, you're if you're trading OTC, you can. Uh, get bigger size, but also a much wider range of spread types. So okay. big, big difference. Um, big, you know. big
0: differences. Like right, you,
4: Tony, you look so I have a question. No, 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 no. Because
3: I have a question because he's in this world. and A lot of people are panicking because crypto's down, the market's down. So right now, you know, with a guy like yourself, who's watched the market go up and down you're an expert, What's the best advice? Do people sit and
4: play the long game? Or if you're down that much, do you just cut your losses and get out? Well, it really depends on what you're in, Mike. I mean, if you're in some of the altcoins where the risk off might be for quite a while, you know, crazy ideas with um, uh, kind of, you know, avant-garde, uh, Altcoins, that stuff may not come back. Um, with the big guys and uh, the liquid stuff, I think you're going to see things um, uh, recover much much quicker than like in um, in traditional markets because you have you know you have 24 seven trading. So really, things happen almost three times as fast in crypto than in um, traditional markets because people are trading. While we're sleeping and, you know, it's very active. So um, we are not seeing a slowdown in um, new deliveries and people uh, who have missed the boat. This is kind of like the third wave right now. We've had a crypto, you know, we had a crypto slowdown. I, I hate to refer to it as a crypto winner, guys, just because prices are down. Um, you've had some blowouts. You've had uh, most of the problems have been in the lending sector people over leveraged right and um if you're getting these high interest rates and it seems like it's too good to be true probably is but um our traditional financial markets um customers uh, wall street if you will that were late to the game are using this as an opportunity to to gear up for the next leg up i love it and great question mike
1: Tony, it's great to meet you. you. I was doing a little bit of background because, number one, I'm a fan. And obviously, I want to show this conversation the respect it deserves. And, and I saw Thank that you, you started out um, big into options. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, you became the most active trader on the floor. Uh, what excites you most about options? And for the audience listening that might not be familiar, how is options different than just traditional trading?
4: Options are the best products ever made. It gives you <laughs> nonlinear payouts. I love it. What product can you map three dimensionally and see your risk reward and you know, uh, multi layered colors, surfaces, if you will? Um, you can tailor your trading style, uh, in any way possible to meet your um, um to meet your risk reward or a size of your capital needs. So, um, I love spreads, I think staying spread is staying alive and allows you to take a uh right turn if you were a little early or if you were wrong in your um uh uh, choices in reverse and and not uh leave everything on the table so in other words like a bad a great spread at a bad price uh is much better than a bad trade in a in an underlying that you just have to cross your fingers and hope it comes back
0: i like your style tony thanks craig Absolutely. And, you know, the frictionless economy, the democratization of trading uh, really makes a difference. And I think one of the wisest nuggets, and I know uh, my friend Craig Siegel's a nugget counter. He collects nuggets, gold nuggets of wisdom, uh, more than gold nuggets of gold. And I think one of the most interesting things that had me perplexed and just going to set me off into a Dave Meltzer wormhole tonight is the speed speed in which, uh, as a variable uh, crypto is traded. I hadn't thought about it in the respect of how uh, the efficiency of trading affects the movement of liquid trades. You, you know, there's the, the you know, the, the, let's just call them collectibles out there. You know, th- that's not going to move fast enough because it's not liquid enough to have uh, enough buying or selling. But, you know, the big daddies, the Bitcoins and the ETH, uh, they're they're trading at an enormous rate. Uh, in a speed in which we've never seen because we've taken it off uh, the safeguards and uh, a, a lot of the brakes uh, that are on there. And so I'm going to study, and I suggest everyone else does as part of taking advantage of the recession, looking to the see, see the speed of money. Uh, you know, and I think that's an important energetic as well as technical uh, viewpoint that's going to be very powerful over the next decade for those that utilize speed as a variable in the investment to align. Why? With their timing and risk tolerance. And those people who I train in taking advantage of the recession and investing in general, I'm teaching people, whether it's Craig speaking or Mike writing books or podcasts, to really understand your timing and risk tolerance, especially because of the variable of speed. Now I'm going to take that to the next realm of trading, liquid assets, uh, to see how the effects and impact impact. Uh, are you know truly uh being taken advantage of that we can use to you know our benefit uh tony thank you so much we'll have you back uh really great wisdom i got a speech but i just really enjoyed uh the input and the nuggets that love, Craig's it. Collecting. love it
4: love you guys thanks so much
0: yep David, Merchly, Mike, tony, dot com. learn more guys. from the expert thanks for joining us yeah. have a great evening you too All right, we're going to
4: make it quick because you got to get out of here.
0: Yeah, I got one minute. Craig, what's your takeaway one liner?
4: Uh,
1: Just Hank Moore and all his life experience and leaning into uncertainty uh, because that's how we accumulate information and strategies moving forward. Uh, That just really stuck out to me and and it's relevant to today. And my boy D.
3: Change is inevitable. Be adaptable, Be, be flexible, be emotionally intelligent.
0: Understand the velocity and rate in which change occurs is my takeaway. My two boys, Craig Siegel, Mike Diamond, Diamond Life Fuel, got me going. I'm going to go do a speech real quick and then get over to interview Mark Cuban at the uh, Shop Fest with the Verb. So very exciting evening tonight. I got my two boys here. Thank you both for joining me. All right, everyone. Remember, as I always say, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for the best co-hosts. Let's all say goodbye to Matt. The